This is the anthem. Here's what you came for. This is the moment. Magic was made for. Hello there. Welcome back to Fanfit House. Take a ride with us on the Hogwarts Express. Walk down Main Street with our best super pals. And defy gravity as we talk about all things fandom. Welcome back to Fanfit House, a member of the Real Fans Podcast Network. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And happy Women's History Month. You know, we're almost yes. at the end. We have one more, this one, and then one more episode. Because it's still yes. technically March when the next one comes out. Yeah, it's March 29th of 31 days. Yeah, so still March. Yes. Um. So we're going to do one I'm more. I'm excited for that episode. Me too. So, um, but today... We're going to talk about yes. um, the real-life women who inspired some of the most, like, renowned musicals. Like, these are not just, like, yes. super niche musicals. No, these are, like, ones that are, like, very well-known. Like, they yes. were – a lot of them were featured all over TikTok, especially Six. Six has been featured. Oh, know. yeah. Six is very popular. All of these have been featured on TikTok. I mean, I think this of the um, – Yep. Yep, the when is it my turn? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be talking about um, Six, Gypsy, and Chicago. Um, Chicago is also a movie, a very famous movie, Catherine Zeta-Jones oh, and yeah. Renee Zellweger. So, yes. yeah. And um, for so I kind of tried to put them in order of, like, historically when they would have, like, That makes sense. Happened. So we're going to start with the Queens of Six. And actually, our editor, Kara, just saw the tour a couple weeks ago and sent me part of the playbill. They have a brief history of each of the queens, their interest, and what pop star inspired their songs. Yes. So. So I'm going to add that in a little bit throughout this. Yeah, we'll sprinkle. We'll sprinkle. So. Get it. Would you like to start? Okay. In the sixth playbill, it has their little bit of her story, um, all their birth and death dates. So, Catherine of Aragon was born on December 15th of 1485 to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain. So, um, Henry took the throne in 1509 at the age of 17, and six weeks later, he married Catherine of Aragon, who was the widow of his elder brother, Arthur. Um, trying to see if it says anything. So she was married to King Arthur November 14th of 1501 at the age of 15 years old. Wow. And how old was and he? And he was, it doesn't say in this. Okay. But it says that when she married Henry um, on June 11th of 1509, she was 23 years old. And he was 17. Yeah. 
well, that's new. We don't see that happening often. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I like Um, that already. Look at her. Girl power already. Yeah. And her interest, um, according to this, says that she was interested in religion, sewing, dancing, and a bit more religion. This is true. I believe this. And the um, pop stars that inspired her um, look and sound in six are Beyonce and Shakira. I knew you were going to say Beyonce. That was the first person that comes to mind when you look at her. You think Beyonce. Yep. But, so from the moment that they got married, Henry was obsessed with continuing the Tudor line. We see this throughout totally. every queen. Um, And she had multiple pregnancies and several births. Most of them were stillbirths, and she had several miscarriages as well. And the only child to survive was Henry and Catherine's daughter, Mary, who was born in February of 1516. Um, February 18th, to be exact. Oh. Yeah. That's all the facts that I'm going to say about her on this thing. Um... So, Catherine remained at Henry's side for 23 years and is even thought to be the only woman the king ever truly loved, even though some people say it was Jane. I was just going to say, isn't that Jane Seymour's line, though? Yes. Um, Henry viewed her as the mo- a model wife in every respect, bar one, her failure to give him a son, says Tudor historian Tracy Borman. And... Because he was frustrated at the lack of a male heir, his eyes wandered. He had a brief extramarital affair with Elizabeth Bessie Blount, who is one of the ladies-in-waiting, like the band is all named after mm-hmm. different ladies-in-waiting that the queens had. When Catherine of Aragon announces Bessie, it's this Bessie ah. that she's announcing, um, which Bessie was one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. In 1519, Bessie was taken in secret to the Essex countryside, where she gave birth to Henry Fitzroy, Henry's only acknowledged illegitimate child. Hmm. So technically he did have a son already. So, so like, what does that mean, acknowledged illegitimate child? What does that mean? That it wasn't out of wedlock? Well, no, no. I know that it was out of wedlock, but like, what does acknowledged mean? He had so many. Oh, but that's that's the only one that, that like people are like, yeah, legit. Yes, got it. Because he even um, Mary Boleyn and sister, he had an affair with her before Anne was even brought into the picture. Hmm. Okay. So who's to say any of Mary's kids were? Yeah. Actually, Henry's. Yeah. It's kind. Of, that's what I take it to mean. At got least. it. Um, by the 1520s, Henry had developed a fondness for Miss Anne Boleyn, another lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine of Aragon, and eventually sought the Pope's approval for an annulment. He, um, the historian Borman explains that he argued that his marriage to Catherine was invalid because her marriage to his brother, Arthur, had been consummated, but she always contested this. Hmm. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I think what I read was 
they were only married like a couple months, Arthur and Catherine, before he died of like tuberculosis or some other. Oh, that's kind of sad. And then she was like forced away into jail, only to marry her dead husband's brother. Wow, rude. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the Pope refused Henry's request, and the king divorced Catherine against the will of the Roman Catholic Church and established the Church of England, ushering in the Reformation period. And Catherine died at Kimbleton Castle as a princess, not a queen, on January 7th of 1536. Hmm. So she was still young. Well, I guess this was the time when people died young. This is the time when, like, 25 was middle-aged. So, okay. Um, well, 1485 to 1536. Yeah. So what? She would have been... I don't know. That's still not that long. 51? This how, how old? 51. Yeah, that's not that old. Like I said, 25 no. being middle-aged. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It does say on um the little bit of her story... That the cause of her death was probably a type of cancer or other illness. That makes sense. So. Yeah. And, of course, Mary, their daughter, became Queen Mary the First, mm-hmm. or Bloody Mary, as she's more commonly and colloquially known as. Yep. Shall we get into Miss yeah. Anne Boleyn? So our next one is going to be the first of our beheaded group. Yes. Um... So, we don't know her exact birth date, but she was born in 1501, it is estimated. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, um, Anne and her sister Mary spent part of their childhood at the court of the Archduchess Margaret, and it was from there that she was yes. transferred to the household of Mary, Henry the, what is that, eighth? Yeah. Henry the eighth sister. Yep. I'm all, who are we talking about? Which one is this? I don't remember. Um who was married to uh, King Louis the sixth? That's not sixth. The seventh. Seventh of France. I can't yes. read Roman numerals. If that doesn't tell you anything, <laughs> it's totally fine. I can't read them. Um, <laughs> Anne's sister Mary was already in the French Queen's attendance, so Mary returned to England sometime around 1520 and had a brief affair with Henry. However, when Louis yes. died, Mary Boleyn returned to England with Mary Tudor. Um, while Anne remained in France to attend Claude, the new French queen. So Anne remained in France for the next um, six or seven years, and because of her position, it's possible that um, she was at the Field of Cloth of Gold, which was a famous meeting between Henry VIII and the French king Francis I. So then it's believed that that's when Henry became smitten with Anne, um, but she, like, refused. She was like, no, Um, but she had no because she had no interest in being a mistress. But when Henry yes. sought for an annulment <clears throat> from his first wife to marry Anne, right, we talked about this, you know, Rome refused, yes. so king broke away, Roman Catholic Church, Reformation, Church of England, dun, da, 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 they got married on 1933. <laughs> no, they got married in... Specifically on January 25th of 1533. January 5th of 1533, there you go. 25th. 25th of 1533. Yes. <clears throat> And it's believed that she was the age of 31. We don't exactly know when she was born, though, so... Yeah, so... Eh. So, um, Anne gave birth to her first child, Elizabeth, in September of that same year. 
And Henry was like really hoping he'd get a son. Um, but after a series of stillborn births, again, very common in this time, um, Henry, yes. you know, he was done. He was, he was like, nope, done. Um, so yeah. when he took a mistress, she was pissed. She was like, uh-uh, not I would happen. be too. I mean, I would be yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally, yeah. totally like yeah, acceptable. But again, at this at this point in time, this is like when like having a mistress was like nothing. Everybody did, you know. True. Especially in a situation where like your wife isn't satisfying you or whatever, you know. Women had no rights. True. We were property. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, on one occasion, her sister-in-law, Lady Roqueford, was banished from court when she and Anne had plotted to remove an unnamed mistress from the court. Says um, Tudor historian Elizabeth Norton. So despite, yes. uh, oh, so he's like desperate to end this relationship, right? He's like, I want yes. a son. You're not giving me a son. Um, he accused her of adultery, which she was like, bro, what? Um, and also yeah. treason. And so he had the marriage annulled. And, you know, he's the, the ruler of yes. the Church of England and it's brand new. So he can be like, I can do yeah. whatever I want. Yet Princess, Princess Diana and Charles couldn't. But whatever. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. Um, but on Monday the 15th, the queen and her brother were put to trial at the Great Hall in the Tower of London, and it's estimated that some 2,000 people attended and conducted herself in a calm and dignified manner and denied all charges against her. Yes. Um, on May 17th, Anne's brother George was executed on Tower Hill, and the other four men condemned with the queen had their sentence commuted from the grisly fate at what is this sentence so there were four men that were like this is who she committed adultery with ah. so they were also condemned um by tyburn who was in tr- with the um the trial but they were only given a simple beheading it wasn't a elaborate affair as George and Anne's were because it was the former queen and got her it. So theirs were like more low key. Yeah, theirs were low key. They okay. didn't have an audience. Got it. Got it. Got it. So um, they then came for Anne on the morning of May nineteenth to take her to the Tower Green, where she was to be afforded the dignity of a private execution. She made a short speech before kneeling on the scaffold. She removed her headdress, and her ladies tied a blindfold over her eyes. The sword itself had been hidden under the straw, and the swordsman cut off her head with one swift stroke. This, it wasn't even his guillotine at this point? Aw, oh, man. No. It, it was a sword? They had, like, they gotten, like, a guy from France. Like, he was, like, the dignified, like, beheaded guy. Beheading guy. And he was, like... Aw, oh, man. I was... He I, got the job to cut off the queen. I have always pictured her, like, putting her head in the guillotine. Like, that's what I always pictured. Interesting. I think I did. I always thought it was a guillotine. Yeah. So, like, if you watch the other Boleyn, which is about Mary Boleyn, or any of those, it is pictured with a sword. Okay. Um, I never saw those. I started picturing it. That. Yeah. The other Boleyn is interesting. It's not that historically accurate. Like, it's based in truth, but not entirely. Okay. Yeah, it's um Scarlett Johansson and um Padme. Oh, um, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman played Anne and her sister. Scarlett is, it, is I thought her Mary. sister was Elizabeth. Elizabeth what? Doesn't 
Isn't there another sister, Elizabeth Boleyn? There's her daughter, Elizabeth, who became Queen Elizabeth the first. The first. I don't know then. I don't know. This one's... Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because um... Henry and Anne's daughter became Queen Elizabeth the first, like the real deal monarch of England at this time after Mary. Yeah. Yeah. And like, okay, who we think of during Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Doesn't matter then. Um, so Anne's body and head were put into an arrow chest and buried in an unmarked grave in the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula, which adjoined Tower Green. Her body was one that was identified in renovations of the chapel under the reign of Queen Victoria, so Anne's final resting place is now marked in the marble floor. That's awful. Yes. From what I read, it because they didn't do this with um one of the Catherines. I forget which it was um why am I forgetting her name? Howard. Catherine Howard. Um they marked her grave and people kept on digging it up and doing disgusting things to her body so that's why it was unmarked for a while because that's atrocious the ladies in waiting didn't want people to do awful things to her that's atrocious i mean it bothers me that she's like in the floor yeah i'm like put her in like a graveyard or like in a cemetery somewhere don't put her in the freaking floor true or in a catacomb Um, like what yeah i don't know maybe she's not actually in the floor that it just it just bothers me um and her inspiration was lily allen and avril lavigne according to the Hmm. playbill from six Hmm. avril lavigne i get the other one not so much okay Okay. Um, remembered for. So, most of these we talked about headlessness, bringing about England's break with the Pope. But the last one threw me off for a loop. So, that's why I'm going to say this. Having a sixth fingernail. What? That's under the remembered me for Anne Boleyn. What? I don't know what this means. Now I want to Google this. And <laughs> Blin. Six fingernail. Six. And, oh, I forget. Heber Castle, I believe, is the castle where she grew up with before being moved to France. You can still visit it. It was her childhood castle she had six fingers on her right hand interesting she had a projecting tooth under her upper lip and on her right hand six fingers there was a large tumor under her chin but yeah so the castle that she grew up in heaver castle which you can still visit in london to this day and i believe it's one of the castles that like they have like hotel rooms inside of it but Heaver Castle was gifted to one of Henry's other wives after he executed Anne Boleyn. It was actually given to Anne of Cleves after he divorced her. Okay. So, 
Moving the next on. queen on our list is Miss Jane Seymour, who it is believed that she was born between 1507 to 1508. Um, and she may have come um, first come to the court in service of Catherine, um, Queen Catherine of Aragon, but then was moved to wait on Anne Boleyn as Anne rose in the king's favor and eventually became his second wife. What's um, his deal with, so- like, marrying his ladies, his wife's waiting, what is his deal with marrying his wife's lady in waiting? Yeah, that doesn't happen with Anna of Cleves, but it happens again with Catherine Howard and with... Parr. Um, Parr. What the hell? So Anne was the only one that, like, got out of that. I don't know what his deal with that was. But on September, or in September of 1535, um, the king stayed at the Seymour family home in Wiltshire, England. It may have been uh, there that the king noticed Jane, but it wasn't until February of 1536 that there is evidence of Henry's new love for Jane. Hmm. By that point, Henry's waning interest in Anne was obvious and Jane was likely pegged to be her replacement as queen. Of course, because, you know, what are what else are ladies in waiting for? You know, not waiting on the queen at all, apparently. No. No. Um within twenty four hours of Anne Boleyn's execution, Jane Seymour and Shut Henry VIII were formally betrothed. I hate within that. Twenty four hours. Um on the 30th of May, they were married at Whitehall Palace, and it um, she would have been, like, 28 or 29 years old. This is not um, even a week after Anne Boleyn died. This is a week yeah. after she died. Or was yeah. killed. Yeah. Wow. Um, unlike Henry's previous two queens, Jane never had a coronation, and this is believed that the king was waiting to get... Um, for Jane to prove herself by giving him a son. So he was, like, dangling this, like, carrot in front of her, like, you give me a son, I'll give you a queen. Yep. It wasn't until early 1537 that Jane became pregnant, um, and during her pregnancy, Jane's every whim was indulged by the king, convinced that she, whom he felt to be his first, quote, True wife, oh, an asshole. Carried his long, long hoped for son. Oh man! On October twelfth of fifteen thirty seven, a prince was born at Hampton Court Palace, and he was christened on October fifteenth. Um, and this baby was named Edward, and Mary, daughter of Catherine of Aragon was the godmother, and Elizabeth, daughter of Anne Boleyn, also played a role in the christening ceremony. Oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah. They're like half-brother. Um, yeah. So is this Edward the first? No. Edward Third. the sixth. Sixth. Oh, wait, I'm way off. Luckily, this tells me. I love that. He's like, he's of Thanks. that clump of Edwards that are all together. Yeah. He is, he, yeah. Okay. Because there's like four or five um, of them in a row. Yes. Jane was well enough to receive baby Edward, at, or, yeah. Jane was well enough to receive baby Edward after her son's christening so mother and fa- father could formally bless the child. 
He re- was reported as very ill on October 23rd and died on October 24th, two weeks after giving birth. Aww. In the end, she would be the only of Henry's six wives to be buried with him. Because she gave him a son. Yeah. That is definitely and the only one never... he really loved. It's definitely her. Yeah. Um, I don't even think he really see. loved her. He just he was just like, yeah! <laughs> he loved that yeah. he gave, her, gave him a son. That's what he liked. He was all, finally! <laughs> yeah. And then she died. Um, Does it say what? Her... It says a hemorrhage. Oh. Ooh. Oh, so yeah. they didn't, so during birth, probably, she started bleeding yeah. internally. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it seems like two, um, her two brothers fought over the regency of the young Prince Edward after King Henry's death because they tried to give him, get him to be king. Oh. And then he died. Oh. And then Mary became queen. And then Elizabeth became queen. Jeesh. And then Elizabeth was queen for uh, a while, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is where we get, like, Elizabethan. This is, like, uh, this is when we yes. get, like, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, freaking Renaissance. Yeah, the English Renaissance is, is because yes. of Henry's second daughter. Yes. Okay. Now I know where we and, are time-wise. <laughs> you know, you could say. And Jane's. Oh, what? I was going to say, you know, you say, like, oh, the year. But I'm like, what? What does this mean? Yes. So his daughter would start the English Renaissance. Yep. The Middle Ages. Yes. Yeah. Um, And Jane Seymour's inspiration were Adele and Sia. You can absolutely tell Adele by her hair. Oh, yeah. Her hair is screams Adele. Yeah. I don't. And her song. Her song, for sure. I don't get Sia. I don't either. Unless it's talking about the colors. Maybe? The white and the black. I don't know. I see Adele 100%. Oh, yeah. Next, we have one of my personal favorites. I love Anne of Cleves. Yes. So, Anne of Cleves is her um, anglicized name. She was um, Anna of Cleves originally. Yes. Yes, and she was born in 1515. Yes, and she was German, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so. So she would have been Lutheran, technically. Yes. Because that would have come around the same time. So she's my girl. Yeah. (laughs) Woo! Yeah. So, um, Henry VIII remained single for over two years after the, the death of Jane Seymour, possibly giving some credence to the thought that he, like, genuinely mourned for her and genuinely cared about her. Yeah. Um. So Hans Holbein, who there's a whole freaking song about, um, <laughs> was probably the most famous Tudor uh, court painter, and he was sent to the court of the Duke of Cleves, who had two sisters, Amelia and Anna. So when Holbein went in 1539, Cleves was seen as an important potential ally in the event that France and the Holy Roman Empire decided to like move against the countries that had thrown off the um, palpal authority. So, yes. like, the Pope, right? Yeah. Like, and England, you know, they just started this whole brand new church just a few years ago. So, they were like, ooh. And same did Germany. Same with Germany. And so, they were like, hmm. Starting Let's to. be allies. And, like, just in case they try to, like, come after us because we were, like, rejecting the Pope. Let's, like, let's do that. Um, and yeah. so, um, England 
you know, sought alliances with countries who'd been supporting the reformation of the church and several of the dukies and principalities upon the Rhine were Lutheran. So Holbein painted the sisters of the Duke of Cleves and Henry decided to have a contract drawn up for his marriage to Anna or Anne. Although the King of France and the emperor had gone back to their usual state of animosity, Henry proceeded with the match. The marriage took the marriage took place on January sixth of fifteen forty. By then, Henry was already looking yes. for ways to get out. He was all, "Oh hell no!" Um, so, yeah, and she was twenty four when he married her, and he was like old. He's old. old. Yes. Well, old for then. Let's see how old he was. Seventeen in fifteen oh nine. So I guess he's yeah. For she was twenty three, and he's. By 1540, if he was 17, let's just round up. This would make him, like, 57? Yeah. Yeah, 58. Which is about to get really disgusting when we get to Howard. Yeah. So, um, but this was normal at the time. I know. I know. It sucks, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, still gross. Still very gross. Um. Even if it was back then. And she's the oldest of his wife, or she she stayed alive the longest of any of his wives, even par. Yeah. Well, because, let's be honest, Anna was on a, on a level of her own. Um, yeah. So she was very ill-suited for life at the English court. Her upbringing in Cleves had concentrated on domestic skills and not the music and literature that was, like, what Henry's court was looking for. And so, most famously, Henry did not find his new bride in the least bit attractive. Like, he didn't think she was pretty at all. He was... No. Like, her song is literally like, I didn't look like my profile pic. And that is literally what happened. Like, she did not look like her portrait. And he was, like, pissed about it. Yeah. Um, So, um, it said that he called her a Flanders mare. Yes. Which is, like, he's he's equivocating her to a horse. Yes. Like, that's awful. Yeah. So, anyway. I have a great story before um, Go for it. we get... This is also in the thing. It says, did you know when Henry first met Anne of Cleves, he disguised himself, possibly imaging some sort of ro- a romantic reaction. According to a witness, when Henry kissed Anna, she turned away coldly from the hideous stranger molesting her. The witness, Lord Russell, observed that he, quote, never saw his highness so marvelously astonished. Wow. Yeah. You go, Anne. Yeah. Turn away. Yeah. So, in addition to his personal feelings for wanting to end the marriage, there were now, like, political ones too um tension between the duke of cleves and the empire were increasing towards war and henry had like no desire to be involved and but if he were still married to anne he would have to be involved by the empire this is the roman empire by the way yes um so but last but not least like eventually henry had become attracted to Catherine howard that was like part of the whole deal he's like okay well i'm done with you never was really attracted yeah. to you in the first place your dad's about to or your brother's about to go to war don't want to be involved peace yeah um so she testified that the match had not been consummated and that her previous engagement to the son of the duke of lorraine had not been properly broken so after the marriage had been dissolved and accepted the honorary title as the king's sister she was given property including um, Hever Castle, 
like Emma was saying, which was formerly the yes. home of Anne Boleyn. And so she just kind of like went away and lived away from court quietly in the countryside until like 1557 and like went yes. to the coronation of her stepdaughter, of her former stepdaughter, Mary the First. Yes. And she died on July 16th of 1557 yeah. specifically. She was, she just like. And who were her inspirations, do you think, too? Rihanna. Yep. Mm, I don't know the other. Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Again. I would, I, um, Rihanna. Rihanna for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, anyway, that was the whole deal. And every person yeah. who has ever played her in the musical ever kills it. Every time I've yes. seen them do it with that yes. costume change, that, like, on stage, like, reveal. Yes. Oh, 10 out of 10. Yes. Badass. But, like, she just, like, went away and she was like, okay, bye. I'm just going to go hang out in the countryside and, like, do me. Like, freaking yeah. love it. Love it. What a queen. Literally. Yeah. Okay, I do mention the fun facts I was about to say about Miss Howard before starting in this first th- two things. Awesome. Um, so Catherine of Howard. Uh, Catherine, Catherine of Howard. Howard. <laughs> I don't know. Anna, please. Uh, still on You're, the fine. Um, You're fine. You're fine. Anna's a queen. We love Catherine. Anna. Yeah. Catherine Howard was the 10th child born to her mother, Joyce Culpepper. And Catherine was believed to have been born between 1518 and 1524 in Lambeth. So this is, like, the biggest gap we see, like, in not knowing. Yeah, nothing is known. And let's see, so 1518 um, to 1524, um, that would have been in the first, like, nine years of Catherine of Aragon being queen. Yeah. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Also, ten kids? Yeah. Ten kids? Yeah. We also don't know if she was the last, because it doesn't say the tenth and last. It just is the tenth. Oh, could you imagine? Yes. Oh, poor thing. No. Yeah. Um, little is known about her childhood, except that it was one of hardship and struggle. Which we, we uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. And we're about to get to with Mannix and Darum. Yep. And all those guys. Yep. Um, despite being the first cousin of Anne Boleyn, Catherine had few prospects for her future as a child. I find it interesting that the two beheaded ones were, like, first cousins. Right? I find it very interesting. I do, too. Um, her father, Lord Edmund Howard, was a second son and, as such, was not set to inherit a great fortune, and his peers viewed him as a weak man who was easily bullied by his wife and was often seen begging for money from his more influential family members. With such a large family to support, when Joyce Culpepper died in 1528, Catherine and several of her siblings were sent to live in the care of Edmund's stepmother, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. The Duchess was responsible for multiple wards, mostly girls from aristocratic families who had little money or no prospects, um, and took little to no interest in their actual care. 
And this is when um, Catherine is introduced to kind of Mannix and Durham, as we said earlier. Mm -hmm. And just... So she's like a teenager. She's like a young teenager. She married um, Howard at probably like 17 to... Howard? Henry? Or Henry. um, 17 to 19 years old. Yeah. So she's... 13, probably, at this point. Yeah. 13, 14. So, okay, I do want to say, in this next, like, little chunk, we mentioned middle-aged music teacher. And, like, middle-aged, they, they say middle-aged, but, like, middle-aged is, like, 25. Yeah. Still gross. But, like, it's only 25. But she was 13 still. Yeah, she was 13, which is still pretty gross. But, like... Yeah. I think people put like, oh, middle age. Yeah, it says they don't want to like in this. I don't know. I feel like it extra stresses the gross part of it, but it also doesn't mention that like people didn't live as long as they live now. They lived to be like fifty, maybe if you were lucky. True, but it does say that she was no more than thirteen at the time. At the end of this next, I know, thing too. I know, I know. But I just I feel like we have like uh, not that I'm justifying. I know. I'm not justifying it. It's still wrong. A hundred percent still yeah. wrong. But <laughs> that's what I was saying. But like, I wanted to make sure that it was known that she was like 13 for sure. Su- no yeah. more than 13. Yeah. That's still pretty gross. Like 25, 13. Yeah. That's disgusting. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. The first relationship attributed to Catherine was that between her and Henry Mannix, um, her middle aged music teacher. They were caught in an embrace by the Dowager Duchess, and Catherine and Mannix both confessed to engaging in a relationship that was sexual, but stressed that they did not sleep together. And she was no more than 13 at the time. Again, the still really messed up. What? Yeah. The following relationship um, was between Catherine and Francis Durham, who was the Dowager Duchess's secretary. When interviewed... Durham claimed that they had been pre-contracted to marry, but the two, but when the pair were caught in a compromising position, the Duchess had sent him away to work in Ireland. Um, now, pre-contracts were common in Tudor times, and when consummated, were considered married in the eyes of the hmm. church. If Catherine and Durham had, as he claimed, been pre-contracted, then Catherine's marriage to Henry would have been considered illegitimate. And if this were the case, then Henry would have annulled their marriage and banished Catherine instead of having her executed, saving both her and Durham from the executioner. But it wasn't. It wasn't true, and they did consummate it, or, like, what's the deal? Are we going to get into that, and I'm just asking questions too early? I don't know if we actually get into it, but, uh, oh, do we? Stop more about we talk, we talk about it later. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, despite her family seeming indifference to her, Catherine's uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, um, found her a place at the Tudor court as one of the ladies-in-waiting to Henry's fourth wife, Anna of Cleves. Um, within months of her arrival at court, Henry was showering Catherine with gifts, and the favor of the Norfolks began to rise again. Um, while we are uncertain of the exact date of her birth, most historians agree that she was probably around 19 at the time of her marriage to the 49-year-old monarch. Damn. Yeah. That is yikes. Yeah. 
that's pretty yikes. But like at this point, now, at this point, now he's like old. Consider like in this time. I, again, she was nine when yeah yeah Catherine of Aragon or she was born when Catherine of Aragon was nine years into her reign as queen. yeah. Like if you were if you lived to be fifty, that was a miracle. And like the fact that he's forty nine, and this is only the fifth wife. Fifth of six. Of six. There's only one left, and it wasn't for very yes. long. But still. No. Um. Though Catherine was, or Howard was, I believe the shortest when I looked it up. I think so. Like it was less than a year. Yeah. I think it was maybe 10 months entirely. I believe that. 100%. I believe it. Um, But stories of Catherine's past sexual encounters during her time with the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk um, were recounted to the King's advisors, and eyewitness accounts of improper behavior from Catherine's childhood began to surface from various members of the court. And it didn't take long for sexual encounters between the Queen and one of King, the King's friends, Thomas Culpepper, to make their way back to the King. And rumors of infidelity led to a search of um, Culpepper's chambers where a letter written in Catherine's handwriting was found expressing her love and affection for him. Hold up. A trial. Hold up. Hold up. Isn't her mom's last name Culpepper? That's yikes. Real yikes. Is this some sort of like uncle cousin relative i think so (gasps) i don't even want to look that up though no i wouldn't no a trial into Catherine was launched and old relationships were scrutinized her previous lovers were questioned and recounted their versions of past events with the young queen Catherine, who had been 14 at the time of her relationship with Zaram denied any pre-existing contract between the pair and Stotchley claimed throughout her trial that he had raped her. Hmm. So that is kind of answering that question that you asked earlier. Yeah. But they didn't believe her Um, But if she had said that the contract was true, then she wouldn't have been killed. Nah. But again, she was 19 at most when she died, so... Poor thing. Yeah. Catherine was stripped of her title on 20, the November 23rd of 1541 and imprisoned. Thomas Culpepper and Francis Derham were hung, drawn, and quartered for high treason on December 10th. As they should. And, yeah. And Catherine, however, remained in prison until February as Parliament changed the laws and introduced the Royal Assent by Commission Act 1541. Are you freaking kidding making me? Making it treason. Yeah. You're freaking Making kidding me. This is ridiculous. A queen consort to fail to disclose her sexual history to her husband or to incite someone to commit adultery with her. This is ridiculous. ridiculous. Once the act was passed on February 7th of 1542, Catherine was charged with treason and sentenced to death um, by beheading two days later. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Hardcore sucks. Yeah. Interesting. The So we don't even know exactly when she dies because of my notes from, I believe it's from 
Yeah, it's from history.co.uk is where I got Catherine of um, Catherine Howard's um, information from. They say what February 9th was when she was she was sentenced to death or when she was killed. The playbill says February 13th. Oh, so it's all different. So nobody really so we knows. We don't even know when she died. Oh. That's atrocious. So oh, I hate that. Yeah. Wow. And who were her two inspirations for the music? Ariana Grande. One. Pink. No. Uh, okay, I don't know the other one. Britney Spears. See, here's the thing. I get the first one. The second one, I don't get at all. All the t- Every single one, I've not gotten the second one. It doesn't make sense to me. I haven't even heard of one of the two for a par, so that's great. Fun. So, speaking of par, let's just let's just move on down because we're only at yeah. fifty five. We're already at fifty five minutes, and we still got two to go. Um, I mean, ten of that was us trying to figure out why my Wi Fi was. This going is out, true. This is true. But also, you know, we still got a ton to go. Um, yeah. So Catherine Parr was the eldest daughter of Sir Thomas Parr and his wife Maud Green. Mm-hmm. Um, both of whom were at the court of Henry VIII in his early reign. Maud was a lady in waiting to Queen Catherine of Aragon and named her daughter in born in 1512 after her gross i mean yeah that's very sweet that's very sweet that like the lady in waiting named her daughter after the queen that she like took care of and like loved but like let's see let's see again i want to see when in the so she married henry in 1509 so she was born Three years. Three years into Aragon's 23-year reign. Yucky, yucky, yucky. Um, <clears throat> so, Thomas Parr died in November of 1517, leaving his three children, William, Catherine, and Anne, in the care of their mother. Maud managed to cha- manage the children's education and family estates and must have left an impression on her daughter of the greater role of an independent woman could have in society. Yes, queen. Yes. We love a strong single mom. Yes. So, um, Catherine was fluent in French, Latin, and Italian, and began learning Spanish while she was queen. Yes. I keep wanting to say queen, yes. but they are all queens. I'm like, yes, queen. Okay. I know. <laughs> Literally. So we can say that starting with the next three. I know. Or the last three that we're going to talk about. I know. But, like, yes, queen. Literally. Um, yes. <laughs> Catherine Parr's first marriage was to Edward Burrow, the son of Thomas third baron borough of Gainsborough. oh geez in 1529 when she was 17 um and edward died only a few years later probably in like early 1533 it doesn't say exactly when yes um so it was during this marriage that Catherine's mother maude died in december of 1531 so she's only 17 she's already like well a little older than yeah. 17 uh 20 uh 19 she's 20 yeah. 20 she's already 20 nope 19 and has and she's yeah. lost both of her parents very sad and can i mention something real quick it says in the playbill that par was friends with princess mary oh. aragon's daughter that's really sweet that they were friends who ended up but like that's also really gross but 
friends before. Before? She became her stepmom. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. That's so weird. Yeah. That's like, that's like, yeah. oh my gosh, in New Girl, when like Jess's high school, like that friend that they knew in high school marries her dad. That's what that is. Yeah. That's weird. That's weird. Nope. Nope. Don't like. I, I just wanted that to be known. Um, so Catherine's second marriage. Oh, she got married more than once. Love her. She got married four times. She's the most marriages of any queen of England. Yes. They all die? They all died. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Actually, she died um, during her last marriage. She did? Oh, she got married after. Yeah, because. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was like, I didn't think she. She got married to one of the previous queen's brothers. Oh, okay. I like that. That's kind of (laughs) cool. Um, so, it, Catherine's second marriage was to John Neville, third Baron Latimer of Snape Castle in Yorkshire, whom she married the summer of uh, 1534 when he was 41 and she was 22. Still yuck, but a little less yuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Latimer had two children from his previous marriages, so Catherine became a stepmother for the first time. During the Pilgrimage of Grace, a rebel mob forced Latimer to join them and later took Catherine and her stepchildren hostage at the castle. Latimer was able to eventually secure their freedom and managed to escape arrest for his association with the rebellion after it was finally put down. Catherine's ailing husband died March of 1543, leaving her a widow for the second time, now at the age of 31. So... It was around this time that Catherine was noticed not only by the king, but also Thomas Seymour, brother of the late Queen Jane Seymour. Okay, I'm seeing what you're saying here. Um, So Catherine and Henry VIII were married on July 12th in the Queen's Closet at Hampton Court Palace in a small ceremony attended by about 20 people. Um, Catherine was close with all three of her stepchildren as Henry's wife and was personally involved with the education program of the younger two, Elizabeth and Edward. She was also a patron of the arts and music. Yes, we love. Yes. Um, yes. So Catherine's own. Which I mean, I feel like, especially with her being so involved with the education of Elizabeth I, you can really see. So makes sense. That arts and music really go into her reign. Because when I think of the English Renaissance, I think of Shakespeare and all these other yeah. plays and the Renaissance of theater. Yeah. I mean, also art. So, and also art in general, yeah. but yeah. Just art, yeah. I can really see Parr's influence on a young Elizabeth. And she was also very religious and, like, knew all this stuff, which we're about to get into yeah. Catherine's Absolutely. religious. Absolutely. Um, so Catherine's own learning and academic achievements, as alluded previously, were, like, super impressive. She was very well educated mm-hmm. for the time. So... In 1545, her book Prayers or Meditations became the first work published by an English queen under her own name. She also wrote another book, um, The Lamentation of a Sinner, and it was published after Henry VIII's death. So he died on January of 1547, only a few months after Henry's death. A few months? Yeah. Oh my god. So she, so Henry died in January. She married Thomas in May. Huh? She married Thomas in May, according to the playbook. Oh, okay. 
yeah, I guess you're right. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see here. Henry died March 1543. Then they got married on July 12th. It doesn't say what year. July 12th of 1543. Oh, wow. That was quick. So, yeah, he died four years into their marriage. Henry did. Wow. And then she remarried with Thomas Seymour May fifth, um, May of 1547. Oh, this is January. Oh, no, no, you're right. May, May. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Wow. What? A- yes. Get it, girl. Yeah. So, what? Five months after Henry, <laughs> she's all bye. Yeah, she <laughs> she's Thomas. all hated that guy. Bye. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. So the quickness and secret nature of Union College scandal. Blah blah blah. She was still able to take guardianship of Princess Elizabeth, and Seymour purchased the wardship of the king's cousin, Lady Jane Grey. That name is super familiar. So. During this time, um, because Edward died, so then it was like, who's going to be the ruler of England now? So that became the War of the Roses, which I know very little about. But it was like all these people being like, it was almost like Game of Thrones in real life where everyone was like, no, I want to be king. I want to be king. I want to be ruler. That's kind of cool. That's how it was described to me in my um Shakespeare class last year how it was kind of like a Game of Thrones kind of situation got it so it was during this time that the rumors of the relationship between Elizabeth and Seymour arose and Elizabeth went to another household so yes I know a little bit more about this wait people thought they were gay Um, this is about Thomas Seymour. Oh! Oh, where, what am I thinking? I was like, what? At this time? Yes! <laughs> Sorry, I got so really excited. So, he had, um... Sorry about that. Um, he had made sexual advances and would try to, like, wake up early and, like, catch her in her PJs and make sexual advances towards her and rape her. Aww. Um... And, like, it just was not a great situation for Elizabeth. Um, And many believe that this is why she decided to never marry. Because she's still known as the virgin queen. The one who never married. Oh, that's right. And many people believe it's because of the trauma that Thomas Seymour had caused. I mean, makes sense. At this time. Like, being accosted in your own home must be horrifying. Like... Yeah, so she would, like, wake up, in, like, hours before and, like, get fully dressed and, like, everything. Oh, poor thing. To avoid this from happening poor to her. Poor thing. Honestly, good for her, though. Who, who, she don't need no man. No. No, she don't. And she was like, look yep. at her. Yes, girl. Love it. Love it. Yeah. But that, I, I wanted to touch a little bit on her. I know that she's not in the music. She's mentioned in the musical, but. Yeah, but not, like, focused upon. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just sad for her. But, yeah. Yeah. So, let's see here. After three previous marriages at the age of 36, Catherine was pregnant for the first time. Oh, my gosh. And on, well, yeah, I guess they never lasted long enough to get her pregnant. No. Um... 
They all died too quick. In June of 1548, she moved to Studley Castle in, I know how to say this, Gloucestershire. Like Worcestershire. Gloucestershire. To await the birth of her child. I think that's how you say it. I think. I would butcher it too, so. I am like 90% sure that's how you say it. Um, yeah. So on August 30th, she gave birth to her daughter, also named Mary. So Mary ended up dying as an infant. We don't know the cause of her Aww. death. So Catherine soon fell ill with um, per- poor peril? Puperil? I've never heard of this before. Sure. It looks like it's purple, but it's not. It could be purple. Here, let me look at it. Look it up. Um, it's a life-threatening infection of the reproductive organs after childbirth or um, an abortion. Aw. Okay. Well, that that's what, what sadly killed her on September 5th in the morning. Yeah. Very sad. Um. She was buried with Lady Jane Grey as the chief mourner in the chapel at Studley Castle, where the tomb can still be visited today. Mm-hmm. So, so it's also known as a postpartum infection. Okay. So, what queen? That that is what it would be known as today. Makes sense. But legit, legit queens. Yes, love them. They're great. And since I know you love Gypsy so much, I can do the two women of Chicago and you could do Miss Gypsy Rose Deal. Lee. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is Belva Gartner, who was the inspiration for Velma Kelly. She married a bunch too, kind of like Miss Parr over yeah. there. Um, her first marriage was to a Mr. Overbeck, in 1917, she then remarried to a William Gartner, um, who was 20 years her elder and a wealthy industrialist in Crown Point, Indiana. Five months later, William Gartner successfully sued to have the marriage annulled, claiming that Belva's divorce from Overbeck had not been finalized. They then were married a second time, they being um, Gart- William Gartner and um, Miss Belva Gartner, Mm-hmm. Um, but had been separated by the time Velva was accused of murder. Like Velma Kelly, Gartner was a performer, specifically a cabaret singer, who used the stage name of Belle Brown. Um, but while the fictional femme fatale slaughtered her sister and cheating husband, um, her real-life inspiration allegedly shot her married lover. She's a femme fatale? Yeah. Um, on March 11th, 1924, Belva Gartner allegedly shot and killed her lover, Walter Law, a married man with one child. Law was found sprawled in the front seat of Gartner's car with a bottle of gin and a gun lying beside him. Gartner found later at her apartment with blood-soaked clothes on the floor, confessed that she was drunk and driving, and driving with Law, but couldn't remember what happened. So this is kind of where we get the... I can't remember a thing. It wasn't until I was washing the blood off my hands I even knew they were dead. dead. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Gartner was arrested for the murder of Law in Chicago on March 12th of 1924 
and admitted to drinking with Law at various bars and jazz houses, saying she carried a gun for fear of robbers. Miss um, Gartner was defended by William Scott Stewart, and one of Law's co-workers testified that Law had confided that Gartner was a possessive lover who had threatened him with a knife when he tried to leave her, and Law believed she would kill him one day. Interesting. So, so, okay, I feel like this is kind of like, right, she's supposed to have inspired Velma, but I feel like that's also a lot of, like, Roxy's story. Yes. So, both of their, because she was kind of the cabaret kind of singer and, like, all this stuff, but both of their trials was, I forget the name of the reporter, but there was a reporter who ended up writing a play, which is what the musical Chicago is about, oh. about the injustices in the Chicago trial system and how they were letting these obvious female murderesses go scot-free mm. because they were saying that they forgot what happened and everything like that. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with this. Yes. I mean, I spent hours researching these two women I love because that. I was so interested. Truth be told, truth be told, I think their stories are fabulous and I love that they get away with yeah. it. Yeah. It's just interesting that like, because the play was written in like 1930s, I believe. <sighs> 1940s. Like, Miss Gartner was in the audience of the play. And she was like, the musical damn Chicago right I did all that. On. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, And in some articles I read, she inspired both of them. Some of them she inspired one. Some inspired Velma. But the article I ended up choosing, which was from... Uh, oh. Belva Gartner. So it was literally her Wikipedia article. But one of the articles I read had said that she inspired her because she kind of took on... Miss Beulah Annan, who was the inspiration of Roxy Hart, under her wing, kind of like yeah. Velma tries to yeah. do. Love it. Um, But Gartner's defense was that Law might have killed himself with the gun. Oh my gosh, they both reach for the gun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm like putting all the pieces together. I love that song, by the way. That's a great one. Same, same. Um, and she acquitted in June of 1924. Yes, queen. And following it, she remarried William Gartner. Oh my god, <laughs> shut up! Second time. So she, like, married him, and then they were like, no. And then they remarried, and then she went to jail, <laughs> and then they remarried again. <laughs> and then she divorced him again? No, he filed her for a divorce. Yeah, he filed her for a divorce, claiming that she was abusive and an alcoholic. Um, and on July 5th, Gartner had claimed that she had threatened to murder him after he found her with another man. What did he expect? She was eventually convicted. I don't know. She was eventually convicted of drunk driving in November of 1926. And by 1930, she and Gartner had moved to Europe. So he keeps on getting with her. Why is he... He's like, he's, oh. He, he's like the toxic ex-boyfriend yeah. kind of like puppy dog. Yeah. Um, following his death on December 2nd of 1948 in Wilmette, Illinois. Why did he move from Europe to Illinois? Why? That makes no sense. Okay. No. 
But she moved to Pasadena, California, and lived with her sister, Ethel Frosher. Sure, I would... And she died of natural causes on May 14th of 1965 at the age of eight. What a queen. Ugh. Yeah. I'm obsessed with her. We can actually say that about this one. Um... And then Miss Beulah Annan, who was the inspiration for Roxy Hart. And you'll really see why she's the Roxy Hart one okay. in a little bit. Okay. But she was born Beulah May Sheriff in Owensboro, um, Kentucky, and was bored of her life in her small hometown and craved the exciting life in the big city. Of course, city. because what, what she, 1920s gal didn't? Exactly. She eloped with a newspaper operator named Perry Stevens oh and had a child with him, oh. but preferred dancing and drinking to being a wife and mother, and Perry um, soon threw her out and divorced So that's her. different. Roxy yes. did not have kids. She soon afterward, Beulah um, Mary, or met mechanic Al Annan and moved with him to Chicago, oh. where they were married in 1920. Beulah needed the financial support Al gave her, but was bored with the life of a housewife. While working at a local laundromat, she met the establishment's manager, Harry Calstit, and began an affair with him. And it seemed that she had the best of both worlds, financial security from a devoted husband, and the thrill of this affair. But then she started to feel resentful that Harry wasn't spending enough money on her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Exactly the same. On April 3rd of 1924, an argument between the couple turned violent when Henry or when Harry tried to leave after Beulah told him he wasn't her only love. And Beulah shot him in the they back. They both reached for the gun. Yeah. After spending a few hours dancing at the murder scene and <laughs> watching as Harry died... Beulah phoned her husband and told him um, she sh- had shot a man who had tried to rape oh her. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now I get it. This is I get it. It's literally the same story. Yes. Yes. Um, later, she claimed she had gotten an argument with Harry when she told him she was pregnant and that they both reached for the gun at the same time. Come on! But she got it first. Um, her story would change several times, and her husband, Al, remained by her side through it all. This is the same! Mr. Sullivan, yeah. It's literally the same the thing. The same! Um, and her story be, uh, made her a celebrity in the talk of the Chicago press. Again. Like Miss Roxy Hart. This is like um, hurting my brain. <laughs> authorities were skeptical of Beulah's story of self-defense since Harry had been shot in the back. But all, ma- um, but all male juries were unwilling to send a pregnant woman to prison. So Beulah Annan um, was acquitted of the murder of Harry Cowsden on in May of 1924. And the pregnancy turned out to be oh, no. a lie. Again. Like Roxy. Um, Beulah subsequently left her husband and tried to pursue an entertainment career but found herself considered a has-been in the press, and they had moved on to the next big thing. Okay, hold on. Can we go back to the whole pregnancy thing? 
Yeah. Because you were, I like, you stopped reading it because you, like, died for a second. You're like, mm-hmm. and I, like, was sitting here and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, just reading yes. it by myself. Because it's the same. She says she was pregnant, so she didn't go to prison. They didn't send her to prison and found her not guilty. The pregnancy yeah. is a lie. Yeah. <sighs> and she leaves her husband in the show and in real life. Because. And tried to pursue an entertainment career. But has been, um, but was considered a has been by the press, and that they had moved on to the next big thing. Oh my gosh, this is wow! And she had died of tuberculosis at the age of thirty-two. Ooh, super young. Yeah. Here's what I want to know: um, How can you overlook the fact that this woman is not the like? How can you not see that they're the same? Yeah. People who say she's not, you're lying. <laughs> yeah. It's more so the other woman that people dispute. Yeah. I don't know. I like them both. I think they're both badasses. And I think they're so, both. I remember the article that I like read to really figure out which one was which. It was yeah. from sci-fi.com. Yes. Um, hold on. I'm trying to see if I can find the reporter's name. Okay, found it. So Watkins is her last name, or yeah. So Marine Dallas Watkins is her name, and Gartner was peddling herself as a victim of the evil jazz scene, and was quoted by Miss Watkins as saying, "Quote: No woman can love a man enough to kill him. They aren't worth it, because there are always plenty more." Walter was just a kid, 29, and I'm 38. Why should I have worried whether he loves me or whether he left me? Gin and guns, either one is bad enough, but together they get you in a dickens of a mess, don't they? What a- yes. Oh my god. Um, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. But Watkins made a name for herself by recounting every detail of both of these um, stories and cases. Yeah. Um, the accused stories, even as they changed, and the way that each woman looked. So she says that um, Annan was the prettiest woman ever accused of murder in Chicago. Young, slender, with bobbed auburn hair, wide-set appealing blue eyes, up-tilted nose, translucent skin, faintly, very faintly, um, and an... Um, and, um, Refined features, intelligent expression, an awfully nice girl, and more than usually pretty. I just looked her up, and there's a picture of her that's actually, like, low-key kind of famous. Really? At least in my opinion. I've seen it multiple times. Okay. Hold on. Let me show you. Uh, Oh, can you turn it on? Yeah. Just did. Thank you. This one. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one, too. Right? Yeah. You've seen it? She's, like, sitting. I yeah. think this must have been taken in prison or something. Because she's in, like, a very, like, nondescript room and wearing, like, a very, like, nondescript outfit. Yeah. Like, very plain. But, like, you know. Kara, can you remind us to put this on the Instagram story? Yes, please. Thank yeah, you. we'll post it on the story so you can see. But, like, this is this is very familiar. I've seen this yeah. photo somewhere. 
So Watkins in 1926 went from a news reporter to Broadway playwright with Brave Little Women, which was a satirical stage play that would be later retitled to Chicago. It was she who transformed Anna and Gartner, their victims, husbands, lawyers, peers, and reporters into characters like Roxy Hart, Velma Kelly, Billy Flynn, Mary Sunshine, and Go to Hell Kitty. She hoped this dark comedy would highlight how appearances and sex appeal had become too important in the justice system. And the show was well-received, running on Broadway for um, 172 performances and spurring a silent movie adaptation directed by filmmaker Cecile B. DeMille. However, the musical we know today only came after Watkins died. Um, she had repeatedly rejected Boss, um, Bob Fosse's pleas to adapt it, but her estate did not. So Fosse's Chicago hit Broadway in 1975, um, and it went on to become the longest-running musical for um, on the Great White Way, as well as a 2002 movie that won six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Yes. Also, really quick, who rejects Bob Fosse? I mean, clearly her, but, like, what? And it doesn't say why. She just didn't want him. I feel like it's almost like um, Saving Mr. Banks. Yes. Because she had written, like, she had been in the trial and the courtroom for both of these women and wrote a satirical thing about how they got out of it scot-free. Yeah. Hmm. And she probably didn't want Bob Fosse to, like, muck it up, victimize them. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, I love that story. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, and I didn't know that they were um, real people until I saw Chicago on stage at a local theater. Because the director's note was literally just, like, their history. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they do such a good job of, like, changing enough. And, like, changing the names. I mean, the names are very stylized, you can tell. Like, those are very, like, theater-y names. They're very theatrical yeah. names. Um, so I think they do enough that you would never know unless you looked, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of why I wanted to highlight them. Because obviously we know that Six is based on yeah Six Wives of Henry VIII. And that Gypsy is based on Gypsy Rose Lee. Yeah. But... Would you have known? No. About these two women? No. They, they, they've changed so much and, like, they made it so, like, fanciful yeah. and extreme in the musical that you would never know. And I did, I didn't really read much into her, but th- there was history about, um, I forget which, um, it's the Not Guilty, um, Cell Block Tango Girl. Oh, yes. But I, but she's also based on a real person. I didn't really read into her. <clears throat> Her history that. that much, but I mean, even her. Still, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, obsessed. Yeah, ten out of ten. Great job. High five. Yeah. <laughs> so, lastly, we're gonna talk about one of my favorite Golden Age shows, Gypsy. Love this show. Yes. Love her. I but- would love to see it this weekend in Florida, but it's too expensive. Cry. Oh. It's fifty dollars for a balcony seat, and that's like the cheapest. Okay, but I also and it's like two and a half hours away from me. I also just bought two tickets to go see Outsiders, and they were like three hundred dollars total. 
It's a new I show. It's tickets. going to it's going to Broadway like at the end of the year. Okay. But- I I bought tickets to see a local production of SpongeBob the Musical. Eee! It's because Skyler's in it, and I uh. technically helped with costumes. Uh. And it was $10 for those tickets. Yeah, I like those tickets. It was $10 for a student ticket. Fun. Love when people give students a discount. We'll have a fun time tomorrow night. <laughs> fun! So, moving on. Miss Gypsy Rose Lee. Um, so... Rose Louise Havik was born in Seattle, Washington on January 8th, 1911. However, she always told people January 9th was her birthday, which, like, I don't get that, but okay. Yeah. Um, she was also known, she was known as Louise to her family, and her sister, actress June Havik, was born in 1912, and I just looked it up. She did not die until 2010. Who? Which one? June? June. Wow. She lived nearly a hundred years. Wow. Right? You go, girl. When did she die in 2010? Oh, in 2010. When did she die? Um, Hold on one second. Because I'm just curious, like. Let me see. So she was born November 8th of 1912, and she died March 28th of 2010. Okay, so she was 97. Yep. Um. She also, like, after her bout as a child star, went on to be, like, a very famous, like, director and, like, yeah, and stage director and dancer and actress. And, like, she did a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. She was the artistic director of the New Orleans Repertory Theater in 1970. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So, her mother, Rose Thompson Havoc, forged... Various birth certificates for each of her daughters, older when needed to evade varying state child labor laws, and younger for reduced fee or train fares. The girls were unsure mm-hmm. until, like, way later in their lives what year their actual birth date was. Wow. Yeah. So, um, their mother had married Norwegian-American actor John Olaf Havik, a newspaper advertising salesman and a reporter, reporter at the Seattle Times. They married on May 28th of 1910 in Seattle, and they divorced on August 20th of 1915. Rose Thompson married her second husband, Judson Brennerman, a traveling salesman, on May 28th of 1916 at Unitarian Church in Seattle with the Reverend J.D.A. Powers officiating. After Havoc and Brennerman divorced, June supported the family by appearing in vaudeville, being billed as the, quote, tiniest toe dancer in the world, which is very cute. When she was only yes. two and a half. Let's be honest here. Rose Havoc was the original stage mom. Yes. The first stage mom. The original one. Yeah. Um, so Rose and June went to Hollywood for two years where June appeared in short films directed by Hal Roach. Louise was left behind while June and her mother were on the road. She had an elementary school education, unlike June, who was taught to read by stagehands, which is pretty sad. But, yeah. like, knowing that she, like, dedicated the end of her life and, like, the rest of her life to, like, education and, like, educating kids, especially about, like, mm-hmm. theater and stuff, like, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, much to her mother's displeasure, June eloped with Bobby Reed, a dancer in their act, who inspired the role of Tulsa. Yes. Um, and they left in December of 1928 after a performance in Topeka, Kansas at the Jayhawk Theater and went on to pursue a brief career in marathon dancing, a more profitable vocation than tap dancing. 
and that actually they kept in it they it is in topeka kansas that they leave in, in yeah. the show it, the theater name is different but they do that they keep that bit so um, interesting louisa's singing and dancing talents like were insufficient to sustain the act without june um, but eventually it became apparent that Louise could make money in burlesque, which earned her her legendary status as an elegant and witty striptease artist, mm-hmm. which I love. So initially her act was propelled forward when a shoulder strap on one of her gowns gave way, causing her dress to fall to her feet despite her efforts to cover herself. Encouraged by the audience's response, she went on to make the trick the focus of her performance, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Um, her innovations were almost like a casual stripping style compared to like the very like in your face bump and grind styles that most burlesque strippers used. Um, they yeah. Say, they say she emphasized the tease in strip tease, right? Like she'd be like, yes. oh, I don't want, I'm too coy, right? Like, like she is in the show, mm-hmm. right? Or in the movies. There's plenty of movies. Um, uh, so she brought a sharp sense of humor into her act as well. Which is also, mm-hmm. you can tell in the uh, in the show, she talks about, you know, being a deziast and making fun of the, the man who's bald. And, like, it's very cute. Yeah. Um, so she became famous on, for her onstage wit as, her, as for her stripping style and changed her stage name to Gypsy Rose Lee. She became one of the biggest stars of Minsky's Burlesque, where she performed for four years. And she was frequently arrested in the raids on the Minsky Brothers shows. During the Great Depression, Lee spoke at various union meetings in support of New York laborers. According to activist Harry Fisher, her talks were among those that attracted the largest audiences. So she made her money in burlesque, did her deal, like lived her best life, and then went on to support laborers. Love it. Um, Love. Yeah. Philanthropist. 100%. Queen. Queen. (laughs) Thank you. Um, in 1937 and 1938, billed as Louise Havoc, she made five films in Hollywood, but her acting was generally panned, so she returned to New York City where she had an affair with the film producer Michael Todd and co-produced and appeared in his 1942 musical review, Star and Garter. Lee viewed herself as a quote-unquote high-class stripper, and she approved of H.L. Mackin's term, ecdesiast which he coined as a more dignified way of referring to the profession. Mm -hmm. Her style of intellectual recitation while stripping was spoofed in the number Zip in Rogers and Harl Pat Joey. And Hart's pal Joey. A musical in which June Havoc had appeared on Broadway opposite Gene Kelly. Lee performed Mm -hmm. an abbreviated version of her act, intellectual recitation and all, in the 1943 film Stage Door Canteen. So I guess we have to go watch it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1941, Lee authored a mystery thriller called The G-String Murders, which made into sanitized 1943 film Lady of Burlesque starring Barbara Stanwyck. I'm, like, obsessed. Her, like, she yes. has this, like, giant collection of things she's done. And it's, yes. uh, love it. It's almost like par, like, yeah. I just collect, started collecting things. Yeah. I mean, I mean Park we didn't collected, even talk about it, but books that she wrote. Yeah, Park collected husbands. books. And, and that's what I was going to say, and husbands. <laughs> yeah. But also in her song, and I forgot to mention this, she, like, fought for women to be educated. Yes. And um, had a woman paint her portrait, portrait and all this other stuff. Yeah. 
Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. So then Gypsy Rosalie wrote a second murder mystery book called Mother Finds a Body, and it was published in 1942. Mm -hmm. And then after the death of their mother, the sisters felt free to write about her without risking a lawsuit. So Gypsy, a memoir, was published in 1957 and served as an inspiration for the Jules Stein, Stephen Sondheim, and Arthur Lawrence 1959 musical Gypsy, which is what we're here for. Yes. So... Havoc did not like the way that she was portrayed in this piece, actually. and she, But she was eventually persuaded not to oppose it for her sister's sake. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I feel like her whole life, until she started doing, like, the burlesque thing, was all for her sister. Literally everything. She got left yep. behind. She didn't get to be involved in anything because of her sister. So her sister, like, gave up this thing for her. Yeah. So, like, so Gypsy, like, gave up her own, like, childhood dignity. In this piece for her sister. So June, um, Gypsy Rose gave up her childhood for June. And June gave up her dignity. Because that's who Havoc is. Is June Havoc. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's what I was trying to say. But Yeah. So, yes. I gotcha. So, the show and the 1962 musical adaptation assured gypsy a steady income which like yes good for her like living off those residuals yes and then the sisters became like estranged for a period of time because like it makes sense you know yeah like louise gave up her dignity for gypsy i mean june gave up her dignity for gypsy and gypsy gave up her childhood for louise so like they like they had they Mm -hmm. had issues um yeah but they later reconciled um June, in turn, wrote Early Havoc, More Havoc to relate her version of the story, which I think yes. is very cool. So, like, we get two perspectives. Yeah. We get we get Gypsy's perspective of, I gave up my entire life for my sister, and then June's perspective of whatever that may be. Yeah. My sister was always jealous that I was more successful, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what her I have no idea. Is. We should read it. Book yeah. club. Book club. We're going to read it. There we go. Um, So Gypsy went on to host a daytime San Francisco KGO TV television talk show. The Jesus, that was a mouthful and I did it in one take. There you go. Let's go. I'm really hungry and food's here. So I'm like, (laughs) um, the Gypsy Rose Lee show had 754 episodes and aired from 1965 to 1968. The popular afternoon show featured such guests as Judy Garland Agnes Moorhead and Woody Allen showcasing her love of people, pets, and knitting, among other interests. Oh my god, mood. <laughs> she also like dabbled in sewing and stuff. Yeah. Um, so Lee eventually died of lung cancer in Los Angeles in 1970 at the age of 59. Which I mean makes oh. sense. She they were they were smoking smoking like chimneys back True. then. True. True. So yeah, like what a queen, right? Yeah, love it. Plus, love. plus Stephen Sondheim wrote Gypsy. You can't go wrong. True. Can't go wrong. And I know we'll talk about this in the Phantom <sighs> News, but his last ever musical he wrote will soon be on Broadway this year. I know. Oh, my gosh. This yes. is going to be tough. This is So we have the first Stephen Sondheim musical, and now we have the last. Yeah. 
That's was it? Um, because he wrote the lyrics for West Side Story. Is is that considered his first? I consider it his first. Okay. I I do too. I can because people say Stephen Sondheim's West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah. Now they say Steven Spielberg, Spielberg's West Side Story, but that's wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's not wrong because he did wrong, but, direct it, yeah. but it feels wrong. Wrong, Steven. Yeah. But I really liked this episode and kind of talking more about, like, the women who inspired different musicals. Yeah. And I really would like for us to do this more. I know we talked about it off the air. Yeah. But kind of instituting this as part of Women's History Month. Yeah. I think we'll we'll keep this segment around. We know that the musical theater episodes in general just aren't that popular, but this I feel like this is this is like a interesting. interesting. It's the history. It's not the yeah. like talking about shows. Yeah. It's the behind history it. Behind the story the behind shows. it. Yeah. Yeah. So like I want to talk about the Romanoff family Absolutely. and Anastasia. Which is also a movie. It's based off of the... Which is also a movie. Yeah. The 20th Century Fox, not yeah. Disney. I but know owned by Disney it. now. I was trying to remember yeah. what Which, studio did it. <laughs> that movie comes um, is tw- celebrating its 25th anniversary this Ooh. year. Yeah. And just like other shows. Yeah. Kind of like that. Newsies. Newsies. The Newsboy Rebellion. Especially because... Yeah, the Newsboy Rebellion. Les Miserables about the June Rebellion of 18-something. Yep. Or another. Yep. I don't exactly. Mm. Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet. I mean, we could do Hamilton, but like, here's the deal with Hamilton. Hamilton tells you the history of Hamilton while you're watching Hamilton. Like, yeah. you can't, you can't not, <laughs> like, you can't not absorb it. It's like, that, that one doesn't count. Same with 1776. Yeah. Yeah. But just, like, other shows, you know, that, like, have this deep history. Absolutely. Or deep place in history. Absolutely. Annie, get your gun. Punchback, even. Annie, get your gun. All these shows. Yeah. This will be exciting. I think this is a good new segment. I'm excited. Yes. So. Yes. Fan news, shall we? Yeah. Okay. And you're first this week. Yay. I'm starving. So. <laughs> A strange loop will open in London this summer. Universal parks and resorts have changed their name to Universal Destinations and Experiences. I'm guessing this is due to the Las Vegas experience opening up for Halloween Horror Nights. Probably. Disney Cruise Line's new Lighthouse Point welcoming guests beginning summer of 2024. With the preparations for Epic Universe at Universal Orlando Resort, Universal Destinations and Experiences have released new logos for Epic Universe, Islands of Adventure, Universal Studios Florida, and Universal City Walk. Sinatra the Musical will perform will premiere this year in the UK. Show written by Joe DiPietro and directed and choreographed by Kathleen Marshall. Universal Orlando's Cinematic Celebration Nighttime Spectacular has officially ended its run at Universal Studios Florida to make way for new Nighttime Spectacular. Now, this show didn't reopen ever Aww. after COVID. They just, like, kind of said, we're done. Huh. Elijah yeah. Rhea Johnson will take over the role of Michael Jackson in MJ the Musical. This fall, Mirabelle from Encanto will greet guests in the Fairytale Garden at Magic Kingdom. Now, the Fairytale Garden is currently hosting the Merida meet and greet, decorated like the courtyard of her palace, complete with bow and arrow targets. 
But the fairy tale garden will soon be fully transformed into the casita for the arrival of Mirabelle. I'm so excited. Now, this location has been changed a couple times over the years. When Rapun- or when Tangled first came out in 2010, I remember it was yes. um, Tangled-inspired, and you can meet um, Eugene and Rapunzel, Flynn and Rapunzel, whatever you want to call them. And they did the full, like, kingdom dance with you That's in so the, cute. like, courtyard. That's so cute. And then it became uh, Merida, and it was supposed to be for a limited time, but then they just Kept never it, put yeah. anyone there. And now they're going to make it Casita, and I'm so excited for that. Yes. This spring, treat yourself at Disneyland. Tenya Stone Spa at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa is introducing blissful new treatments, at, and Disneyland Resort Hotel guests won't want to miss the new sunrise yoga. Yes. A new stunning restaurant will open at Disney Springs in late 2023. Summer House on the Lake embodies a breezy beach house vibe featuring three expansive outdoor patios with a lake view, which I've been at Disney Springs multiple times this week, and the construction for that is loud as hell. (laughs) I don't don't want to talk. I don't want. No, I don't want to do the next one. No, I don't believe it. No, it hurts me too much. Then you can do then you can do the highlighted one. Okay, fine. It hurts me too much. I can't say it, Emma. I can't. I can't. You know she was in the original, which is why she's coming back. I don't care. She was in the original? She was the little girl. Stop it. No, she was not. Yes, she was. I don't like it. I don't like it. Make it go away. Who which is, she... is why she's coming back. To... Okay, she... I'm just going to say it. Who's she supposed to be? I don't know who she's going to be. Oh, God, I hate it. I hate it. Go ahead. Leah Michelle joins Ragtime Reunion Concert. I don't like it. Disney's Animal Kingdom will welcome Moana on April 22nd along the Discovery River. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Jennifer Simard and Adam Godley to join Once Upon a Time on Broadway. Once upon- Sorry, Once Upon a One More Time on Broadway. That's the most confusing name ever. It's the Britney Spears musical. I know, but I hate the name. Yeah. Once Upon a One More Time on Broadway. <clears throat> yeah. Also, the uh, part one of the Wicked film shifts release date to Thanksgiving of 2024, a whole year before the film was supposed to be released. Woo. Are you going to do this? Oh, yeah. Oh, or? yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. So, here's okay. the one we were talking about earlier. Um, Stephen Sondheim's final musical will arrive on stage with the title, Here We Are, this September, at the Shed in New York City. Yes. And he wrote Merrily We Roll Along as well, right? Yeah. I think so. I believe so. He wrote a lot. So, this is like his third musical that will be on Broadway this upcoming season. Good and it him. is Merrily We Roll Along. What? I said good for him. I mean, he's passed yeah, on Yeah, because Sweeney Todd barely were, we roll along and here we are. Yeah. I mean, he's passed, but still, good for him. Yeah. But Merrily We Roll Along um, will begin performances on Broadway in September with the most recent off-Broadway cast stars coming back, which were Daniel Radcliffe, Lindsay Mendez, and Jonathan Groff. Yes. Um, Krista Rodriguez, Alicia Umpress, and Richard Klein will star in Cabaret at Barrington Stage. Disney World raised $1.5 million for Make-A-Wish of Central and Northern Florida through the purchases of the first ever Walt Disney World specialty license plate design honoring the 50th anniversary. I love that. And you can still purchase it. 
Yes. So that number is still rising. I love that so much. So much. Yes. Go buy it. Even if you don't plan on using it in your car. <laughs> um, Alex Moffat, Neil Joshi, and Dana Steingold will join The Cottage on Broadway. Which Dana Steingold was in Beetlejuice. She was the Girl Scout. Yeah. Um, you see, I have to read another one that I don't like. You don't have to. I'll do it. No, it's fine. Emma hates figment, you guys. It's a figment one. You, Yeah. The figment meet and greet will be at Imagination Pavilion later this year. And Mickey and Friends will have a new home for greeting guests because that's currently where they're stationed for their meet and greet. Mm-hmm. When Communicore Hall opens at Epcot because all the, these expansions will be opening by fall. Yeah. You sounded so pained saying that. I don't understand. I know. I know, baby. I know. We all know. If I was Disney CEO, I'd get rid of Figment. (laughs) I think you'd have a riot if you did. I would make that right inside out. I mean, yes, but I think you'd have a riot if you got rid of Figment. That's where the inside out characters meet, and they're not putting him in where his red cute meet and greets are. I don't know, They dude. put joy and sadness. I don't know. Which is how I feel. Joy. Sadness. Sadness. <laughs> no. <laughs> Man. Man. Okay. Well, yeah. getting into some happier Disney news that doesn't, like, hurt Emma's soul. Um, at South by Southwest, um, this past week? Not this past week. I believe so. Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago when this episode's released. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago. Um, Josh Tomorrow and Walt Disney Imagineering. Josh Tomorrow is the Parks CEO. He's um, Chairman of Parks and Experiences. Chairman of Parks Parks and Experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So Josh Tomorrow and Walt Disney Imagineering took the stage in a panel titled Creating Happiness, the Art and Science of Disney Parks Storytelling. And they showed prototypes for a few different things, but the two main ones are um, a new animatronic that incorporates motion capture data to create performances that evoke emotion and dynamic maneuvers. I'm sure you all have now, by now, seen that clip of the yes. bunny doing the front roll on the roller skates. And it's believed to be a prototype for Judy Hopps. Yes. Which will be for, cool. For um, Zootopia Land at Shanghai. Which will be super cool. Yes. And hopefully Animal Kingdom because it's a blue sky concept. There's also a blue sky concept from Disney Imagineers that lets fans have a live conversation with a pixie-sized Tinkerbell. And they had her in, like, a little lantern, like, in the movie. It was so cool. So, blue sky concept, for those of you who didn't watch the D23 episode, is, like, if money and, like, if money wasn't an object, stuff that they would add to the park. So this is long from actually becoming a thing in the parks. I know people were complaining about it, mm-hmm. but it's still a blue sky concept yeah. in years from this being is, This implemented. is still a long ways away from being implemented, but the robots yeah. are not. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I could almost see happening, because I know, I believe it's Shanghai. It's one of the Disney parks is adding a Neverland area. I could see like a pixie-sized Tinkerbell in the wake here. That makes sense. For that. That totally makes sense. I could see that. To, like, kind of start this technology. Yeah. Or putting it even at Peter Pan in one of the parks. Yeah. As part of the queue. That makes sense. 
Yeah. So. And that's it for this week's fandom news. Yeah. Very lot. Lot. Lots going on. Lots, lots. Yep. And like I said, I'm pretty hungry, so let's wrap this baby up. Yes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. We are proud part of the Real Fans Podcast Network. That's right. And if you want to check out more shows on the network, you can find them at rf4rm.com. Next week, we will be talking about the history of the Dahomey Warriors and their influences on and the history of the Dora Milaje in Black Panther and talking about kind of like where they came from in the comic books as well. Absolutely. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for the latest updates. Now, Emma, where can people find you on social media? So my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter are all at SniffyAmma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Jen, pretty much everywhere. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our editing is by the wonderful Carolyn Meyer. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Bye! Bye. The music expression in this episode did not reflect the writer company they're about. <laughs> <laughs>